daughter and I've been trying to guide her on how to get the daughters baptized and, and her husband is atheist so she's having a lot of difficulties on who to find for uh, godparents and convincing so all that uh, that she may grow in faith and and go through the process to baptize her children god read start over again the the man you were talking about your brother i'm sorry who so one was like my, a prayer request for my brother that yeah. today he had a difficult uh what's his name augustine augustine yes and the other the other uh her name is jesse jesse yeah and that's for um for her to go through baptizing her daughters are already around four years old um so she she's not much in, into her faith and she was asking me about maybe a speak episcopal church or like any church um she just kind of wants to go through the process so wow. for her to like understand right and, and for her to grow in faith yeah. what did you say about her husband is her husband does he share the she's she's catholic no, she's, he, her, her husband doesn't want to go to the church and they are actually not married so it's kind of husband and, but yeah. her original face is catholic she's just not practicing she's baptized but she hasn't had confirmation or or marriage yeah or, yeah 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 and her so name is just her name is yeah jesse her name jesse, is jesse yeah yeah, wow. and her husband got all the sacraments, but he now feels that he can have a relationship with God. He doesn't want to go to church yeah, or yeah. get married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Boy. So she's in a difficult spot. Wow. You're in a difficult spot. <laughs> no, I'm saying that seriously, Maria. Um, you know, people who don't know bear less. People who do know carry more. <laughs> so... You're carrying a lot, so bless bless that soul of yours. Bless that soul of yours. So anybody 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 else with prayer requests. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um God, what to say, Lord? What to say? We live in a broken world, and our faith gives us a help that the world doesn't know. It can make our families better, and it can protect our families from so many of the things that go on in the world. But um, one of the things that, um, that defines our faith is our cross. So, um, so much of what goes on in the church is exactly what goes on in the world. How can it be otherwise? We're all human. So we share these burdens with the world. Um, I ask for a special um, spirit of hope for those of us online together here, um, particularly um, Maria. Um, Goodness me. Sorry. Um, 
for her brother and um, Augustine and for her friend um, sorry Je- what? Marie, oh, what's Jesse her? Jesse yeah uh, um, for her brother um, um, protect him um, we don't know the circumstances that went on at work today but um, work is so often in a human place it's you know, it's the center of our world and everybody depends on a job and so often people take advantage of that. Bosses can be awful people. So can workers. Um, um, help Augustine um, with his predicament in his mind and his heart. Help him to be prudent, whatever he's doing. And help those who work with him um, to see him as an image of Christ. Um, all of us are images of him. That puts us in a difficult place. It, it means we get angry at injustices. We do things that people don't like. Um, be with him. Strengthen him. Um, whatever happens. If he keeps his job, um, let him be strengthened in all he's doing. If he doesn't, let him be strengthened in the hope of doing something more. Um, let your will be done, but help him to be strengthened by what happens, whatever difficulties he might encounter here. And be with um, Cecilia's friend, Jesse, um, and her husband. Um, <laughs> God, it, it's an age for saints. In our world, there's less and less reason to be married. Marriage is something people don't take seriously. Baptism. Um, this woman wouldn't be struggling with these questions if there wasn't something underneath her that she has a friend like Maria to me is not a small thing um, help her let a light come to her about the importance of that in her heart even if she doesn't understand with her mind um, offer a light to her in that direction um, because their kids are not just kids um, they're hers, and their ultimate well-being is in her hands. So help her come to this, and, and for me at least, more importantly, help Maria with that good heart that she has find the words to help her friend. Have, give her the courage to be honest with her, to open her heart, and help her heart or her friend be receptive. Um, what she's facing is something all of us face in one form or another. We live in a world that has turned from you, so it doesn't make our burdens less, it makes them heavier. Um, give us all a spirit of cheerfulness, of gladness, to be with you in whatever crosses we have to bear. Help us not to be discouraged, certainly not to despair. Whatever difficulties, whatever crosses we bear, help us to do it knowing that you are there helping us to grow into something we couldn't become without those crosses or without your help. Let all of this be, please. Um, in the section of the committee that we're about to take on, help us um, to grow in our understanding of our faith and more importantly, to live it. Whatever, whatever we learn here, let it strengthen us in our convictions about the truthfulness of our faith, how real it is, 
to make it real in our own lives, in everything we do, everything we do. We offer these prayers in your name, Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, the poem I'd like to read tonight is, it may be one we've already read, I'm not sure, but I want to try to stay with um, with um, short poems for a while. You know that I want to get to Robinson's um, Isaac and Archibald. It's that long poem that's sort of comfortable and funny because everything we tend to do is very serious and solemn, and I thought it would be nice to try something, thanks, something a little bit lighter. Um, but I feel like we're still recovering from some of the long lyrics, so I wanted to do a short lyric tonight. This one is from John Donne. We've done him before. Um, John Donne is a contemporary of Shakespeare's. He's a Renaissance poet. Um, I, I, believe he, I believe he's probably the greatest love poet in the lyric tradition. If, if you've read John Donne, you know that there is not an emotion that he has not explored. All his poems are dramatic lyrics, or so many of them. His poems are, remember, the lyric is an expression of the I, the inward person, the inner self. Literature is a story about somebody. Um, Homer is telling a story about Achilles or Odysseus. Dante happens to be telling a story about himself, but he's doing what epic poets do, what novelists do. He's telling a story about somebody else. He's telling about himself and Virgil and Beatrice taking this journey. Um, drama always presents characters speaking in their own voices. There's no narrator. But the lyric always is an expression of the I, the self, the interior. It's, it's an imitation of I, of I am, God saying, I am that am. The lyric is that inward voice. It takes us into the interior. So it helps us to see what is so hard for us to see because the interior of man is so obscure. We all know that. It's hard to see into our emotions sometimes. They're so obscure. One of the values of the lyric is that it, it shines a light on that interior world. So all the lyrics have been taking us into this interior, but through a beauty and a truth that's sort of amazing. John Donne, we've read before, he's written poems on every possible state of mind. Envy, hatred, vengeance, grudges, all of them have to do with women. I mean, he's responding in love relationships to women. So some of the women he'd like to bury, some of them he'd like to make love to, some of them, his wife, he, he writes poems of adoration and celebration. But he gives us the whole range of the lyric interior. There's almost no emotion that he has. An exp um, there, there's a couple of poems in which he in which he wishes the worst on the mistress who's rejected him. So there isn't, is not an emotion that he has not explored. There's also a series of poems that he wrote called the Holy Sonnets. And in those sonnets, he's, he's going into the interior, exploring spiritual realities um, relating him to Christ or God the Father. And in this particular one, um, he's berating himself um, because he's aware of the state of his own sin and he's asking God to ravish him. So he's taking the love metaphor, you know, the, the poet is the lover loving the beloved, the woman, 
which is the typical stance of the lyric poet, the lover declaring his love for the beloved, the woman that he loves. He's taking that stance and inverting it. So he's taking the love topos, the love theme, and turning it around and appealing to God to ravish him. Because unless God does that, he will remain in his sins. The sins are too great. So this poem is called Batter My Heart, Three-Person God. The, the structural image behind it is the Trinity. That there are these three persons. So everything that he describes, he describes in terms of threes. It's his way of showing that the disorder in his own soul is tripartite, threefold. It, it, it's just another way of showing that there are these three aspects always at work in the human person. So this one, John Donne, Batter My Heart, Three-Person God, it's um, Holy Sonnet 14, okay? Oh, wait, I'm sorry, I've got to go back. I'm really sorry, I've got to go back. She was on my mind, and I, um, I wanted to include somebody from our group in our prayers, uh, Melody, um, whom you all know well, I think, um, um, has been very earnest in her prayers of lately. I think you know that. She's been touched by them a lot. She won't be here tonight because she and her husband and her son are somewhere on a hike or doing something tonight. She wrote me a note. And I did not want to forget her in her prayers, and I did, so I want to go back. Sorry, um, but I want her to know that we're carrying her. Um, let your blessings be upon Melody and her husband and her children. Whatever their struggles are, um, um, she and her husband carry a deep faith. She's been moved by her prayers, I think because she is glad for the help of them. Um, strengthen her in her faith. Um, like all of us, um, parents particularly in our age, she carries burdens, she and her husband, in raising her, her, her two sons and daughter. Help her to find a strength in everything she's doing, no matter what happens. That everything that happens increase her confidence in what she's doing to trust in you, in her and her husband's actions, whatever stands, whatever risks they have to take as parents, and um, to strengthen her in her faith. Um, let her heart open where there's a cross. Give her courage, she and her husband both, to enter it. Um, trusting that it it will help all of them grow closer to you. Um, hear this prayer, please. Amen. Sorry, you guys, I, I, I had to run a mine, I forgot. So, John Dunn's Batter My Heart. It's 114. Watch the way, structurally, the poem tends to unfold in terms of threes, okay? But remember, at the heart of it is this inversion of the love, the love theme, the love topos. Instead of the poet declaring his love for the beloved, he's asking the beloved to ravish him. If Christ does not ravish him, take over, he's afraid that he will lose this battle with his own sins. Okay. Better my heart. Better my heart, three-person God, for you as yet but knock, breathe, shine and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand or throw me and bend your face, your force, to break, blow, burn, and make me new. 
I, like a usurped town to another do, labor to admit you. He wants him. But oh, to no end, reason your viceroy and me, me should defend, but is captive and proves weak and untrue. Reason is imprisoned. Everything he does with reason is in the service of something else. We know that ourselves. It's, it's impossible to look at the political world without hearing reason gone mad. I mean, people use reason for every possible thing, but for a virtuous reason, for a love or a virtuous reason. It's the one, it's the one thing hardest to get to in political debate is, is to use our reason in love. Remember Dante's line, the intelligence of, or we will come to it, the intel, remember this line, the intelligence of love. There's a different way in which people use their intelligence when they're motivated by love. The authority, the spirit they give words will be different. Those people who are motivated by other things will use reason in a different way. He's saying here, reason your viceroy in me, it's his lead. Me should defend, but is captive and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you, and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie, or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you, enthrall me, unless you overwhelm me with your love. Accept you, enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. So the beauty, the irony is here, is he's inverting the love thing, asking God to overwhelm him with his love. If he doesn't do it, he won't attain the chastity or the virtue that he himself seeks. Now let me read it once more, just without comment, just so you can enjoy the poem and what he's saying. But it's really a supplication, it's appeal, it's a sort of desperate appeal to Christ to overcome him, because if he doesn't, and he won't be able to overcome the sins in himself as a lover, as a lover. Batter my heart, three-person God, for you as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, or throw me and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like a usurped town, to another do, labor to admit you, but owe to no end, Reason your viceroy in me, me should defend, but is captive, and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you, and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie, or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you, enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. Lovely poem. Okay. Okay. Are you guys ready? I feel like we're <laughs> undertaking a new epic um, with the Inferno or the Purgatorio leaving the Inferno. Um, what I'd like to do to begin is just set out some general differences between hell and purgatory so that we have um, some context in which to understand what's about to happen to us because we're now we're going to 
we're going to do what we've been doing for the last month. We're going to be encountering people in these scenes, but the difference is in all of these encounters, the, the souls that Dante meets will be undergoing penance. So um, what, we're, what we'll see is that these people carry the same sins, exact sins, of the people in hell. Fraud, lust, uh, murder, violence, um, gluttony, you name it. There is not a sin that we won't encounter here in purgatory. The difference is that people in purgatory want mercy. Um, they're penitent. They're sorry for their sins. So they're looking to God for help to come out of them. So the state of sin continues forward from the inferno forward, you know, into all that we're going to experience here. Except with that difference, that these people have opened themselves to God and a grace is helping them. So instead of, instead of people who don't know they don't know, that's the condition of hell, Everybody in hell thinks he understands everything. He's got the answers to the thing. Nobody can talk with him or argue or they're set in their ways. The people in purgatory are changing. They know that they don't know. They're full of wonder. They're like children. Um, they're taking on sin after sin after sin, but they're happy. They're glad to be doing it because they know um, if they didn't open themselves to God's mercy, they would deserve hell. The sins that they've committed would put them in hell. So that seems to be very subtle, but it's, it's absolutely radical. It's the one condition that, you know, explains the difference between hell and purgatory. Okay. So um, what I want to do is just set out some general notions to keep in mind while we go through purgatory, because they'll help... Um, make sense of everything we encounter. So, fundamental difference between hell and purgatory is the condition of mercy. That the souls acknowledge their sins and know that they need mercy. If they were left to their sins, they would be damned. Um, so, in one sense, we've moved from a pre-Christian world that made justice the highest ideal into a Christian world in which mercy is offered to not to do away with justice but to fulfill it, bring it about. Remember that's what Christ said, he did not come to do away with the law, he did not come to do away with justice, he came to fulfill it in love. That's the call to Christians. So what we're seeing in the purgatory are people who are attempting to realize a justice. They all deserve damnation, but they're undertaking this penance to make themselves better. So they're, every, every ledge that we, that we visit will show us souls working to get better, um, taking on penance to make themselves better. Um, one of the most important things to see as we move from the Inferno to the Purgatorio is there's a different mode of presentation. I want to repeat that. 
the mode of presentation differs. It's crucial, absolutely crucial. Um, we're still going to encounter contrapassos. You already know what that is. The contrapasso is an external image of the internal state of the soul. We see what's inside the sinner by virtue of the setting because what Dante shows us the inferno is once a, once a soul has chosen that sin, it defines his world. So he sees everything in terms of that. It, 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 what he does is force the world to accommodate to him. His world reduces down to that. Let's say it's the sin of lust, you know, with the buffeting and the winds and things like that. So the contrapasses are going to continue forward but the mode of presentation will change. The mode of presentation in the Inferno is irony. Irony. The souls don't know that they don't know. We know because we're standing with Dante outside of the souls. So we're aware of the irony. We can see that, for instance, let's take Francisca you know, with um, Paola. When she says, if, if, only the, if only God of the universe were friends to us, you know, she's blaming God. She's with her lover. She feels like she's been unjustly treated. So that's the way she sees the world. There's, there's no way to see any scene that we experience except in terms of irony. The souls don't see that they don't see. The mode of presentation of the in, uh, purgatorio is not irony. It's humility and wonder. There's nothing they see that they don't experience in terms of humility or wonder. They're grateful for the mercy being offered. They know they need help. The souls in the inferno don't know they need help. They think that what's wrong with them is they think they're all okay. They're all satisfied with where they are, so they're stuck. The souls in, in purgatory are moving forward. They're all changing. Hell is a world in which things are fixed. Sinners have chosen that sin, whatever it is, and they're, they're caught in it. That's what they chose. That's what they've got eternally. It's like they're frozen in a moment. Whatever that moment, whatever the sin is that expresses itself in time, freezes in that instant. It becomes that eternally. In purgatory, they're moving. They're changing. They're going from level to level to level to level. Each time they leave one level to go to another an angel erases a P, the Latin word for sin, off their forehead. And each time they ascend from one level to the next, they get lighter. The, the, the burden, the, 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 um, the task gets easier. You know that if we were to climb a mountain, let's, I mean, in the natural world, if any of us were to take on any mountain, that the higher we got, the harder it would become to climb, right? The air would become thinner. We would become more tired. It's just the opposite in purgatory. With each sin that they put away, the climb gets easier. They get better and better and becoming virtuous. So the mode of presentation is humility. They're open to, to learning. They want to learn. Um, almost at every level, the, the souls, the penitent souls are going to experience a, a sense of wonder because Dante's got a body and he keeps casting a shade when all the other souls are shades. So it's going to be laughable and funny because we won't, it's, it's going to be 
almost impossible to encounter souls that aren't confused and a little bit surprised at what they meet with Dante. Um, wonder, wonder, from Aristotle, wonder is the condition we all should exist in. This is from Aristotle. Wonder, I mean, think about this with children. Wonder is the condition of our hearts when we want to know the causes of things. That's what wonder is. It's like the beginning of philosophy. It's the beginning of love of wisdom. To wonder is to want to know the causes of things. It's something we should carry with us all of our lives. The trouble with us adults is, think, <laughs> is they think they know everything and they don't wonder enough. I mean, one of the things we should continue to do through our lives is wonder. What's God doing now? You know, what's going on in our lives, say, in our family that I don't see or we don't see? What's God doing? To me, it's so stupid to think we know all these things because we can't see what God's doing, and yet our faith is he's always doing something. So wonder is wanting, desiring to know the causes of things. So the condition of the mode of no, the mode of knowing, the mode of knowing in hell is irony. They're stuck. They think they know and they don't. The mode of knowing in purgatory is wonder. Okay. You know that when Dante arises in the level of purgatory shores, it's Easter morning. Remember the whole divine comedy began on Monday, Thursday, when he started to go up the mountain. He was beaten back. He goes into hell. Good Friday night, he descends there. It's like Christ entering hell for the harrowing. Here on this morning, when he climbs up the back of Satan and arrives at the shore of purgatory, it's Sunday morning, Easter morning. So it's a moment of renewal. It's, it corresponds to that moment of Christ's risen life. So allegorically, it, it's a moment in which Dante himself is experiencing a renewal, a risen life. He's, he's emerged from the dead. We have to take that literally, literally, and allegorically. Because in one sense, the souls in hell are dead. They're not living. They're, they're, they're fixed. So when he emerges on the shore, it's Easter Sunday, it's a moment of renewal, it's a moment of gratitude and happiness. First thing um, he has to do is go wash his face, pull out that reed to wash his face. He has to get rid of his stain. The one thing, the one thing that is not allowed on purgatory is morning, mourning. It's a condition to be glad. And I hope everybody hears that. To, to enter into the work of um, working with God's mercy is a reason for being glad, no matter what the burdens are. It means the soul is working with God. He should be glad, whatever's going on. Um, it's it's <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> difficult to move from the inferno to purgatory without feeling we've entered time. I remember, I think I've told you this before, when I was in graduate school and reading this for the first time, and I was so overtaken with it, and I asked Suzanne to read it, and she had finished the Inferno, and I had been talking with some of the other graduate students that you know we were becoming friends with. 
And his response was, he was frightened by the inferno because <laughs> it made him worry about some of his relatives. Um, and when Suzanne finished the inferno, her first response was, it was so, she was so glad because she could finally hope again. Because you know that in hell there's, there's no hope. People have chosen and that's what they've got. It's impossible to, sh to go from the inferno to the purgatory without feeling we've entered time. In the inferno, time stops. People are fixed. In the purgatorio, people are moving forward and changing. And one of the important things to see here, and it's, it's so at odds with our modern scientific way of looking at time. According to a scientific mechanical time, look at a clock. Watch a digital clock or a clock. It goes tick, 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 tick. We're counting intervals off. I'm going to use the word intervals, not time. Intervals that are equidistant, one from another. So time for us has been reduced to a mechanical form of measuring something. Okay? In Dante's world, time was an expression of love. It was a mode of love. It's a function of love. God is the, the God who created the universe is a God of love. So time is a function of love. It's doing something involving God working with his creatures to make them better. So time here is not a mechanical thing. It's an action involving God's direct involvement, participation in human beings becoming better. So what's at work here is God's love. That's what's happening at purgatory. This, and and it's, really, it's really amazing when you start thinking about things like this. So if you look at the souls going up purgatory, the one thing you have to say about them is they're, they're learning to be patient. You know, you have to work with each sin as they're going up. They can't hurry it. They can't, they can't, they can't do it at their time. When the sun goes down in purgatory, they have to stop. I, I, I don't know what the word is. What's the A? What, the, what do they call the A type? Or, you know, I, I don't follow that stuff. But, type A personality. Huh? Type A personality. Type A personality. I think everybody in our in our family, Suzanne and I, our sons, you know, are, you know, very conscientious and um, um, imagine the difficulty that A-type people would have in purgatory. You know, who are used to being self-reliant and want to get it done, and then reaching a point where night comes and you can't do anything; you have to wait, because the whole point here is you have to learn to work with God, <laughs> not make God conform to the way you want to do things. So. Time is a very different thing here. I hope everybody's seen that. It, it requires a real adjustment in our thinking because we think of time as a mechanical thing. In Dante, time is, he doesn't look at time that way. Time is a function of love. It's, what's at issue is how well we as humans are working with God in his time. And remember, in his time, there's no past, present, and future. It's all present. There is no past or future for God. So and I'm going to come back to this because this is one of the major, major themes of the Purgatorio. I'll come back to it. Um, remember in the Inferno, um, we moved from level to level and encountered a different contrapasso, the, uh, an externalization of the sin in the setting at every level. That's going to be true for the Purgatorio. At every level, we're going to be encountering a contrapasso again. What the souls are dealing with, the, the sins they're bearing at the level of pride, will be very different from those uh, 
on the level of envy or wrath or sloth or any of the others. But one of the fundamental differences, even though that the contrapasso remains constant, one of the fundamental differences is that on each of the levels of purgatory, Dante is going to be experiencing what are called goads and checks. This is so important. How do you correct yourself? With respect to you what? Do you correct your sins? What do you measure your sins in? How do you correct your sins? Against what do you measure them? So at every level of the purgatorio, the souls are, are experiencing two things. They're experiencing the virtue that they're trying to attain, and they're experiencing an, images of the sin that they're trying to turn away from. So each level gives us images of the sin itself and its, its opposite, its virtue. One is called a goad, and the other is called a check. Is that clear? Which one is which? The goad is an image of the virtue that they're striving for. So let's just take one quickly, theoretically. Um, um, what's the opposite of pride? What's the virtue opposite of pride? Humility. Right? So as the proud are crawling along the level of the proud, they're constantly shown images of humility. At the same time, they're shown images of the sin itself. So they'll be seen images of pride. Now, obviously, which, which would be the first image of pride that a soul would face on the level of the proud? Of the proud? Where did all pride originate? No. It's from the devil? Yeah. Give him a name. Satan. Satan. So the, so the first image that they'll encounter of the sin itself, that is a check. So the first image of a check will be Satan. The first image of the goad will be Mary in her humility, in her saying, I will. Satan said, I won't. Mary said, I will. What we're going to see up the entire mountain is the first goad on every level, the very first goad, will always, always be Mary. Her virtues will answer every level of sin, every one. If you've looked at the scheme I've given, you'll see it set out. You, you really should look at the schemes because it'll make it all clear, but they should be really helpful. So at each level... This, this is the beauty, part of the beauty of what Dante's doing. The souls who are undergoing penance are being helped by the art of the mountain. I'm going to go out on a limb here. It's as if, it's as if they're reading literature or painting, if they're looking at paintings. I'm very serious about that. I mean, you may hear me being facetious because, you know, we're all doing art together. We're doing literature, but... What they're encountering are stories, images, literature. What Dante's making clear is that nature is full of stories, in nature itself and by poets, by artists. 
And all of them are giving us images of the things that we should emulate, that we should follow, or images of those things that we should be turning away from. So that's where the goads and checks are, okay? At every level, they're going to be helped by images of the virtue they're trying to get better at and the sin that they're trying to escape, to put away. Okay. Um, you know from the structure, I think, from the outline I'm giving you, I hope, I'm, I, I, I've had problems with the computer my last two days, so I'd, I couldn't do what I wanted to do with you guys. But, but anti-purgatory, the, the condition of purgatory from the shore up to the gates of purgatory, has different levels, and then purgatory itself has three really important levels. And I'm going to go over this right now, and then I'm going to give you guys all a test. And anybody who doesn't pass this test is going to be removed from this class for the night. Maria, did you hear that? I'm going to pick on you. Is there anymore? She's not answering me. Okay, listen, because this is, this is crucial. Purgatory is divided into three levels. And it's absolutely crucial to get them. The lowest level consists of pride, envy, and wrath. <clears throat> Those are the three fundamental sins to all human beings. The middle level is um, called sloth. And the upper, upper level are called natural goods. And those sins are gluttony or avarice, gluttony, and lust. Now, let me make clear what the difference is. The, the lower sins are the gravest because they're spiritual. All of them are the love of evil. I've, this is so important, you guys. Just you, It's so important. The lower level consists of those actions of the human soul that are directed towards evil. Pride, envy, wrath. Every one of them is evil in the sense that it wants to harm another human being unjustly. So pride is wanting to put another person down to stand above that person. You know, we hear that in the business world all the time. Watch your back. I'm, you know, trying to get ahead by stepping over people. People use other people for their own gain. Right? That's an expression of pride. We, we reduce other people to, to objects. We, we turn them into things f for whatever motives. Because we want something, we desire something, we want our own pleasure, we will use other people for our own pleasure, to get ahead, to be powerful, to make money, whatever it is. We turn other people into objects, things. So pride is wanting to step above somebody else and make that person fear to us. Envy is wanting somebody to lose something because we don't have it. My sister's got a dress. When she spills coffee on it and stains it, I get glad because I didn't have the dress and she did. You know, things like that. I don't have a, I don't have a house. <clears throat> they shouldn't have one either. So envy is wanting somebody to lose something because we don't have it. Wrath is wanting to get back at somebody who's hurt us. We want to hurt them. 
So the three spiritual sins are sins of desiring the evil of the other person. That's what makes them evil. Remember, God. this is what sets us off from the Protestant world. God made nothing bad. He made nothing evil. Evil exists in the world because we commit it. We're too proud. We want to make ourselves better than other people. We're too envious. We, um, um, we want to have something. We want somebody to lose something because we don't have it. Or we want to get something because they don't have it. Or somebody's hurt us and we want to get them back. So the three lowest sins are, are sins of evil, desiring evil. The three higher sins, those at the very top, are um, sins having to do with natural goodness. The soul doesn't, so in the bottom part of purgatory, the soul loves evil. It wants bad to come to people. The upper half of purgatory has to do with love of good. All of them are good things, avarice, gluttony, and lust. It's that they're excessive love of natural good. So avarice is loving things too much. Gluttony is loving food or drink. Food and drink are good. They're good things. We love them excessively. Sex is a good thing, but we love it excessively. So the bottom part of hell is, um, is a love of evil. The upper part of purgatory is love of good but excessively. The middle part of purgatory is called sloth. It's an inadequate love of good things. So instead of loving things the way we should, um, we're too lukewarm in our loves. So that's the structure of, of purgatory. So in the same way that Dante showed us the, dis the nature of evil and the descent um, into hell, you know, from the sins of the incontinence to sins of fraud. Here he's showing us the ascent, the, the effort that we have to make to overcome our sins to become virtuous and loving. We have to deal with those spiritual sins that are inside of us and those excessive love of good things that can sometimes um, take over our souls. Is that clear? It's just, it, it's really crucial to hold on to these things. So at every level, we're going to be dealing with goads and checks and contrapassos. We're going to see the contrapassos revealing the sin. We're going to see the goads and checks answering them. And at every level, um, we're witnessing the soul move from the gravest sins to the least sins. The greatest sin is always pride. Pride and envy are the two great sins. Um, and you'll see as we go along that all of the upper sins, lust, gluttony, avarice, they all assume some envy or pride. Pride and envy are at the root of all sin and wrath. They're behind everything. So even when we enter into excessive love of good things like food or drink or sex, or the fault is still pride or envy or wrath, we carry those with us. So, to, but to climb up purgatory means dealing seriously with those um, spiritual sins, pride, envy, wrath, and going up. 
Is that clear? I'm going to stop because I've got the, the, the one major item that I've got left to talk about. I want to hold on for a minute because it has to do with the action of a whole of purgatory. It's going to, because what I'm doing right now is just making generalizations. To me, it's so major that I want to take a minute with it. But let me stop here. So we've talked about the change from the inferno to the purgatorio, the difference in mode, a mode of knowledge, the mode of knowing in hell is different from the mode of knowing in purgatory, the time that um, once somebody separates himself from sin, he enters into a different kind of time, a different relationship with God, the goads and checks, um, the structure. Purgatory is communal. People are working together. Hell is isolating. Because human beings are objects, people use other things. So Francesco and Paola in the opening, they use each other. Daumides and Ugolino um, use each other. At the very end, you know, in, in the climactic scene between Ugolino um, and Ruggiero, remember the, the bishop eating, or the Ugolino eating on the bishop of Ruggiero's head? Or Satan eating Judas and Brutus and Cassius? Everybody in hell is using other people for themselves. We talked about the inversion of that. And if hell is the opposite of heaven, you'd expect to find that, that people use other, thing, other people for themselves. Whereas Christ gave himself away. He gave himself up for people. He offered himself for people. So, um, so purgatory is communal. People are working together together. Um, to support each other in their efforts to get better. So those are just some some general things to keep in mind. But let me stop. Any questions on those things? Yes. Comments on them? Yes. David, go ahead. The Sorry, comment that you just made a moment ago about sloth being not enough love. Kind of squares with what Jesus said in the Bible about he detests lukewarmness. Right. 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 Is that the, is that analogous? Yep. Yep. Right on. Right on, David. Yeah. Yeah. Christ wants everybody's love burning, but in the right way. <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to love completely, but in the right way. The the part of the beauty of the of what Dante's doing, particularly in the Purgatorio, is souls are learning to love the right way. The great problem, one of the great problems we face as humans is learning to order our loves, to love the right way, the right degree, the right kind, you know. Um, because after the fall, our loves are so disordered. We love the wrong way. We love the wrong thing. We don't love enough. Um, so to read, really I'm saying this truly, to read the Divine Comedy is to learn to order our loves, you know, to start working it at um, making our loves better, understanding ourselves and what's not good with us and some of the things we have to do to make ourselves better. Yeah, for sure, you're right on, David. Alyssa, I had a question. I was just wondering why uh, there is nighttime in purgatory. I'm sure that's a very good reason. 
Well, if you're sure there's a very good reason, give it to me, Connie. <laughs> I just, I kind of, it, it wasn't surprise me, but I was just, um, I, I just was wondering, like, why, why would there be nighttime in purgatory? I can see it not happening in heaven for sure. Right. Because um, of Jesus, the light, you know, he is the light. We won't need anything. Right. But purgatory, I can't, well, I guess I can see why purgatory, because you're suffering still and, um, and change, changing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? I mean, I, th I think it's a really good question, and it goes, it goes so directly to principles. It's, you know, it's one thing to look at all the characters. It's another thing to get to the principles underneath them. So it's a good question, going to principles. Anybody, can anybody take up Connie's question? Do you have an answer, Doc? Why is there nighttime? have to show some restraint. Did you guys hear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Connie, my, my answer, I mean, I'm not going to add much to what Suzanne just said. It, it, it just seems to me that um, along the lines of what I've said, that I think purgatory is an image of the church on earth. In fact, I'm not sure that I've said it here, but I think I've assumed it. I look at purgatory as an image of the church on earth. When we started our work together, you guys may not remember this, but when we first started talking about the city, St. Augustine's idea of the city and um, Aristotle's and St. Thomas's ideas were very different. When we looked at Merchant of Venice and some of the other things we read, one, the city has been one of the major focuses of our work. St. Augustine says there are two cities, the city of God and the city of man. Um, and the city of man is directed towards hell and the city of God away from it. But he says between those two cities is a peregrine, a peregrine city, um, a city in pilgrimage, a wandering city in exile. And it was his way, of, I, I, I know I've said this before, and I, I think probably the, you know, because we come at it in variations, we, we find each work treating it a little bit differently, so we come at it a little bit differently. That's part of the beauty of it because we learn to see it in different ways. Um, but the Peregrine City is, I think, an image of the church in exile because the world is not our home. I know I've said this many times. The world's not our home. If we start looking at the world as our home, we want everything to be settled here. We want everything the way we want it. Um, the way I want it now, under these conditions at this time, you know, that attitude, we, we've got to have everything settled the way we want it now, or we won't be happy. And the irony is, is if we get everything settled that, that way, I, I just, it won't make us happy. There's still be, we'll still be miserable in some way, because we have this longing for, oh, for something more. But the church is, um, is an image of the, um, the city in pilgrimage. Man is in exile. This is not our home. When Christ came here, he said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Christ was in exile. This was not his home. His home was with the Father. He came here in exile to bring us back. We're in exile. We want to return to the Father. That's our home. In fact, it's getting right. It's getting to this thing that I want to get to because it, to me it's one of the most important things about the Purgatorium. Our home is with God. 
So hell is an eternal darkness separated. So it's a refusal of the light, to use your image, Connie, because I think it's so appropriate. Purgatory is closer to what we experience here on earth. Sun coming up, sun going down, darkness coming. That we have to learn to work with nature, with God's time. Suzanne used the word restraint. You know, I, I was using the word, what do you, whatever you call it, A-type personalities, you know, want to get everything done right now. The, the, the part of the beauty of time is that it, it makes us rest. What's interesting about purgatory is it's, it's not just that it makes them rest. Everybody in purgatory knows they have to stop their penance when the sun, they cannot advance another step. That's a sin. What, it, what it's showing is the importance of self-restraint, this desire to keep wanting to, even if it means penance, I want to be a better person. There comes a point at which you can overdo that. I mean, what, what Dante's showing is all of us have to learn to work with our limits and accept limits, not, not push beyond them because it doesn't help us. Um, you know, we just went through Advent and Christmas, and Advent was a time of waiting. That's part of the beauty of the church. It's asking us to learn. How many of us wait very well? I mean, I, I'm probably asking that more with a sense of irony at myself than you guys, but I'm assuming that some of you struggle with it some ways in the way I do that I know I do. How many people like to stand in line? <laughs> I'm okay with standing in line. I get really upset when people start pushing ahead. That's the kind of person I want to say, go back and take your place in line. I'm okay standing in line. I, but I'm not very good at putting limits on my own work because I push a lot with it. But I think that's the answer, Connie, that you know, people are working with time. The, when the sun goes down, that's, that's a firm rule of the mountain. You don't do it. it it's, it's a way of teaching people to take seriously, do not do something. You know, stop here. There's a boundary. Um, we're in time. It's another way of saying we're in church. The church on earth is purgatory. We're. Isn't that true? I mean, that if the if the church isn't doing that, what is it doing? So. So the beauty of purgatory is that we've left an infernal world. We've learned to see sins, but now we're looking at the only way to answer them and what we learn is there's no way to answer them without receiving a light from God by which to look at our sins because it's only through his light that we can begin to that is through a grace that we can see them and then to learn to move with him to correct them and right now we're starting purgatory and the 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 two things that I just want you to hold on to that the mode of knowing the mode of experience of purgatory is humility, gratitude, joy, gladness. People are undertaking penance gladly. Um, and they're doing it together. So we're in a very different world. Any other questions or comments? Maria, what's your thoughts on this? I want to know. You're not going to about like what is specifically? No, what what any comments on purgatory and what ter purgatory means? Uh, I think that's good. 
something that I was always curious, like how on, on earth, like we can offer all of our sufferings um, as a prayer. I always wonder like if like the sufferings in purgatory are could also be fruitful for us in on earth. Yeah. Wow. I'm, and I'm just, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed because it should have included that. And because I, I was putting my notes together fast today. One of the qualities that sets, I'm so glad you said that, Maria. One of the qualities that sets purgatory off from hell is that people are constantly praying. Um, and what we're going to see in the Paradiso is that people are in heaven are aware of people on earth. How could it not be so? Love doesn't stop. If, if you carry love for somebody into the next world, how in the world can that love stop when love by its nature is with God? But one of the, one of the constant activities in purgatory is prayer. People are constantly in prayer. Um, so. Bob, this is Julie. Yeah. I just want to say I'm so, I'm so glad to be out of hell. This is like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> I'm so, you're not going to show yourself, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Julie, I couldn't. I'm so glad. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, really. Except, except you know, we, we can't get to purgatory without looking at those awful things. So, you know, it, it, it teaches us a kind of courage to, to be honest about ourselves. So, but I couldn't agree more with you. Could not. I, what's, what's lovely about it is I think our joy is in proportion to our courage in looking at our sins. Because when we look at our sins, we either despair because they're so awful, you either despair, or you learn to be glad to work with God. So, Julie, what's your response? Do you, you have no questions about what I just went over? I really don't. I'm just, I'm, I'm really, really, I'm loving everything you're talking about. I think, it, I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful place. I, I just, I, no, I don't have any questions. I like it. Yeah, one of the ironies, just this is a personal story that it shouldn't come into the notes right now, but I'm gonna, very often when, when Suzanne and I go to Mass, there'll be a priest who will, who'll, how does he put it, who will offer prayers for the poor people on purgatory. You often hear priests say that, pray for the poor people in purgatory. Every time Suzanne and I hear that, we laugh because I think, well, no, truly, if you're in purgatory... There's no. I hope everybody's clear. Once you're in purgatory, there's no going back to hell. You're on your way to heaven. So why anybody would look at the people in purgatory as poor is beyond me. I hope I get there. <laughs> I, hope, I hope all of us get there. Um, I'll be delighted, thrilled, happy. So when I think about the people in purgatory, I have no feel sorry feelings for them at all. I'm glad for them. They've got to be glad to be there. That's the nature of purgatory. We need to straighten out our priesthood somewhere here. Somehow we have to do something here with. So, Dr. Bob, you said they're constantly praying in purgatory, but they, they can't pray for themselves, right? Who is this? Karen. Karen. Oh, there, sorry. Ask, go ahead, ask the question again. I've been taught that, that um, in purgatory, the people cannot pray for themselves. 
Why do you put it that way? That's a curious you question. Have to pray for others. Huh? That's what I'm told. You have to pray for others. Have to? If they're going to pray, they have to pray for others. That may be something from the church that Suzanne is repeating like she's heard it before. I've never heard that before. We've heard it. We've I, heard it. Yeah. I also heard it. Yeah. yeah. Pretty bad that said that. Yeah. Listen, I'd, let me let me cut this short. Um, I can't answer it myself. I mean, you're putting the question to me. I can't answer it. When I think about Dante, my reference point now is Dante, not the church. I'm trying to keep our focus there. Um, I'm not aware of any passage in the Commedia that makes it clear that people cannot do that. And it's interesting that you should say that because I would think Dante would be a, would have been aware enough of it to do something. I think my assumption, and it may be a wrong assumption here, is that insofar as people are learning to love as they should in the purgatory, they should be learning to love themselves properly. Because our commandment is to love others as we love ourselves. Um, and I and I take that seriously because I think here let me boy this is wow you guys are getting beyond me. So did Bob? Um, I had an idea. Let me let me let, let me just finish this thought and then Mary you go ahead. Um, one of the things that we see in hell, in Minos twisting his tail around and assigning positions in the inferno, whatever level people are going to be assigned, is an element of self-accusation. That and guilt that the souls in hell have so given themselves over to a sin that they can't step back and see it and do anything about it. So they're not loving themselves as they should. God made all of us good. I think the first two commandments are love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So we, I, I know we can love ourselves excessively. Selfishness is not a good thing. Um, but I'm not sure that we can love other people if we don't carry a love of ourselves. And I, I want to try to qualify that. I don't think the love of ourselves should ever keep us from giving up ourselves because our call in charity is to put ourselves away, to love others more than ourselves. So there's a tension there. I'd, I'm not aware of anything in Dante that points to that. All the prayers are for other people. But I'm also aware that as the souls move up purgatory, they're learning to love better and becoming better themselves. There's a goodness in them growing. They're becoming more loving and they're becoming more lovable. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it's interesting because I've never heard this before and yet Susanna's obviously familiar with so many of you, so I don't have an answer for it. I think that that's why they're called poor souls because they cannot pray for themselves. They can pray, of course, for us, um, but but they cannot just pray for themselves to ascend. I guess. Yeah. They are asking. Go ahead, Mary. Go back and tell others to tell their friends. Ask their friends to pray for them. Karen, say it again. They're asking Dante when he goes back to ask their friends to pray for them. Yeah, yeah, and what, yeah, while we're getting ahead too, what we're going to discover in the Paradiso is that Dante is going to learn then that he has a prophetic calling and he's got to take all of this back to the world 
for all these for people to see the nature of sin for people to see prayers to hear pray, for lots of reasons um mary did you mary jane did you have something uh well when we were talking about prayer in purgatory every level has its own prayer the lord's prayer and the right the litany and so every level has a prayer so even though you may not specifically be praying for yourself it's a good thing to be praying i mean yeah. you still get good out of your prayer you become good. I, I think that's partly what I was trying to say a minute ago, that y you become better. There's more goodness growing in you when you do prayer. You become more loving. You know, goodness grows in you. Right. Um, anybody else? Wow. Anybody else? Okay, one last, one last observation before we start looking at the text. And this to me is crucial. It's almost too big to get my head around, but let me try. You guys be patient with me for a second here, okay? One of the great themes that we've encountered in the literature leading to this has been homecoming. I wish I had notes to put it up on a screen. You all know this, Nostos, yeah, from the Odyssey. N-O-S-T-O-S, -O -S, Nostos, homecoming. That the great theme of the, audio, the, the Odyssey was Nostos, homecoming. Nostos, from which we get nostalgia, a longing to return, right? We saw, in an amazing way, in a way that I think surpassed even Homer in the Aeneid, that after Troy was destroyed, Aeneas had to find a new home. I, the amazing thing is you guys got this in you now. God bless. If we could get this to our world. Aeneas longs for a home. He's lost everything. His family, his friends, his grounds, his temples, his homes, his wife. He loses his father on the journey. Um, he has to found a new home. He has to start all over. Um, we don't know that experience in our, because we're so we're like Troy. By the way, I'm going to say this. People may be offended. We're like Troy. We are a very settled people, and there's so many signs that we're about to be destroyed. There's lots happening in our world that seems to be suggesting destruction because we become so affluent, so comfortable. Aeneas loses his home and he sets off to found a new home and you know that after attempt after attempt after after failure failure after failure the year with Dido where he looks at the history of the Trojan War and sees himself eight years earlier when he's not the man he was eight years earlier because for eight years he's been failing he's failed to settle his people to make a founding he finally is told that his home is in Italy, and he goes there, and he discovers that his ancient ancestors, the Dardanians, were originally from Italy. So without knowing it, he's returning to his ancient foundations. He's going home. It's what led T.S. Eliot to say, in my beginning is my end, in my end is my beginning. It's going to be one of the most important themes for Dante. We'll see it when we get to the Paradiso. Those are the exact words to describe because Dante is going home. 
At the end of the Paradiso, he's going to meet his great-great-great-grandfather, and then he's going to meet Adam, his ancestor. He's going home. God. He's going home. So in all human beings, there's this deep, deep longing to return home. And we think going back to our ancestral past will do it, but even if going back to our ancestral past will help us some, it will still come up short. Because what I'm saying is that in every human being, there is this longing to return home. That home is God. That's where we came from. That's where we want to return. Okay. So, the climbing, here, here's where we go, and this is where it gets deep. The climb up purgatory, the penance that we undertake in, in our church, whatever we do, are all efforts to help us return home. Okay? Now here's where it gets really deep. God bless you guys for undertaking this. Jesus Christ, God, God. You guys remember when we started the Iliad and the Odyssey, that those works began with Homer appealing to the goddess um, Calliope. Sing goddess, the anger of Peleus' son, right? Sing God, the man of many ways. That's the Iliad the Odyssey, right? Homer began his poems appealing to Mimosine, one of the daughters of Mimosine, Calliope. She was the muse of epic poetry. She was a descendant of Mimosine and Zeus. Mimosine is the Greek word for memory. So the appeal to those muses was an appeal to some ancient sense, like a cosmic memory, that there's this ancient past. This is, and if you've read St. Augustine's um, Confessions, you know that one of his final chapters had to do with memory because he realized that memory was not memory the way Freud would know it, say. That memory was this collective mythic past that we were all a part of. So when Homer made his appeal to Calliope, um, he, was, he was invoking one of the goddesses that would open on the past so that we could return to that past to learn Achilles' story, Aeneas. The same with Virgil, with Aeneas. So this idea of memory of recovering something lost has been with us from the beginning. It's major. So when Odysseus goes home, he's recovering what he lost was what was once his. When Aeneas is struggling, and he has no, he has no idea he's going to his past. He's trying to create a future, a new home. And ironically, he discovers when he gets there that he's coming home. He's coming home in a way that he didn't even know. So this idea of mimosony, of a, of a cosmic memory, has been with us from the beginning, okay? In the middle of Mass, in the middle of Mass, we are, we are said, do this in remembrance of me. That's the center action of the Catholic, the Catholic Greek or Eastern Orthodox Mass. Do this in remembrance of me. He's, the words, the Greek words, means to go back and recover something that once was. The Jewish people cannot 
define themselves as a people without remembering their past. They keep going back to the Red Sea and the um, freedom from Egypt. Memory is absolutely essential to the Jewish people. It's absolutely essential to us. Christ's words in the center of the Mass are, do this in remembrance of me. Go back to the past and pick it up again and bring it into the present. The word in the Greek is called anamnesis. Anamnesis. From the liturgy. That's the word describing the center of the Mass. Anamnesis. We are asked to go back to carry that act forward and make it living now. So the past is present with us now. So one of the most important ways in which we're meant to look at the whole of the purgatorio as as an escape from hell is to recover our past, to go home, to go home. I'm hearing echoes. If, if any of you have seen the movie E.T., I don't know if any of you have seen the E.T. Go Home, E.T. Go Home. <laughs> you know, it's so quaint there, but it's that ancient longing to return. Um, so when we look at the Purgatorio, it, it can look like Dante and Virgil just, you know, struggling to climb this mountain. Remember, this is the mountain he began to climb at the beginning of the Divine Comedy, he tried to go up this mountain and could not do it. He could not do it for multiple reasons. There's too much there. He has to learn to see his sins before he can go home. Because going home means being reunited with God. So at the center of the action of the Purgatorio is this idea of the anamnesis. To go back, to pick it up, to make it real now. That's what the Eucharist means. When we take the Eucharist, we go back to that sacrifice. It's part of our lives. It's meant to be real now that we take God into us to participate in that. And I've been talking about this forever with you guys, that where are we in the Eucharist? You know, I've, I, haven't I said this to you guys before? When we go out into the parking lot, where are we? Haven't I done this with you guys? Where are we? Where are we? When we take the Eucharist in time, where are we? If time is a function of love and we take the Eucharist, where are we? Are we with Christ? Do we believe that? Is an act of faith? Or are we just putting this wafer in our mouth and going out to our car? So one of the things that set the Catholic faith apart is that we believe that that's the real present, that we go back in time. We are with Christ now. Um, carry him with us. So the whole action of the Purgatorio can be described in terms of an anamnesis. Re um, do this in remembrance of me. Go back. That's what that word means. Go back, pick it up, bring it forward. So it's one of the major themes of the Purgatorio. Okay, so those are some of the sort of general things to keep in mind as we go ahead. Um, those are things that I just think will deepen everything we do. You know, for everything here forward will be concrete scenes. I mean, we're going to visit people on the level of the pride, the envy, and you know, so forth. But it's important to keep in mind these deeper things, these larger things, because they're 
they're really at the root of what's going on. So let me stop. Any questions about this idea of anamnesis or mimosine, you know, Homer invoking the the muses of this ancient past? Doesn't Dante invoke the muses? Mm-hmm. Do you hear Suzanne's question? Ask her it louder, Doc. Doesn't Dante invoke the muses? He does. As a matter of fact, he's going to invoke the muses, and finally we get to the Paradiso, he's going to invoke muses and then some, because when he, when he sets off from earth into the heavens, he's going to ask for a special power, because that's, that's going to take a special... It's going to take a special blessing, and moreover, he's going to warn people from going ahead, because to leave the earthly paradise, when we leave you know, Eden at the end of the purgatory to go into the heavens is going to present us with real dangers, real dangers, because we're entering a world of grace. You guys sure you want to go ahead with this? <laughs> Any questions on, on just these general sorts of things that... Julie, you don't have any questions? No, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think what you're describing is beautiful to me. Yeah, it is. It is. Dante's amazing. It just is amazing. It just is amazing. And go ahead. I just wanted to comment. I think that this is a much more positive view of purgatory than what most of us learned as children. It was like purgatory was held light. You were going to be punished, but there would be an end to it. Wow. And this, this to me is much more uplifting. Wow. Uh, Did any of you share that? I mean, I, I, I didn't grow up in a Catholic world, so this is, but is that, was that so for some of the uh, the rest of you or I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'd agree. You always kind of looked at it like the punishment and, um, I mean, not as bad as hell, but yeah, I agree with you. Wow. Yeah, one of the, I mean, the interesting thing for me is that, I mean, this is, you know, I, I, we came into the church at a time when we were reading, when, at graduate school, when I was doing the Comedian, um, I've always looked at purgatory as a, as a time of gladness and, People are suffering. They're, you know, I mean, they're taking on sin, so they're taking on awful things. But they're glad to be doing it too. And it's a, there's a, there's a humor to things. There's a, by the way, just so I, I don't want to, I do not want to romanticize things. We're going to see in a moment, at the bottom of purgatory, who's the guardian? Because we have been meeting guardians at every level. It's Cato, and Cato is not a very happy guy. He's pretty stern. I mean, he, he's saying there is no nonsense in about, <laughs> about what you're about to take on. So, you know, purgatory is a serious thing. Um, there's fixed laws, and they're not going to be moved. But once people enter into them, there's a joy there um, in what they're doing. Interesting. Well, in, purgatory can be, it's temporal. It's, a, it's got a given time whatever the time is for our condition. Um, however, I understand what I've already heard about purgatory being damned, but pure purgatory, as I understand it from Free Vatican II, it's a purification process 
whatever that means. It's a purification process so that we can step up into heaven or be lifted up into heaven. Right. But hell is terminal. It's all over. It's done. It's right. done deal. Right. And you make bed now you got to sleep in it. Right. Right. But right. I, I don't know. It's still, it's still, I think, considered a purification process. Yeah. Even though it's, it's not a happy land. It's, it's, it's purification so that you can earn your way or you can be purified to be ascended into heaven. Yeah. Nobody's going to get into heaven who isn't like Christ. There's no sins in heaven. People enter heaven when they're like Christ. So purgatory is that condition of um, bringing us to that point. Um, Bob, did you have something? It looked like you were tossing something over in your head a second ago. No? No more questions? Go ahead. He was just agreeing that it Karen, is your, I'm not, the audio is not on. Oh, I had it on. I was just saying that Bob was just agreeing with the statement where uh, what he learned as a child was not so glad about purgatory. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's just, to me, it's so hard when I think about the Catholic world and, you know, it, teachers and sisters and priests and it's so hard to bring something severe which is part of Christ I mean I, I let me get real here for a minute there's a tendency I think in the modern fundamentalist world certainly here in the south to make Christ a buddy you know he's our buddy he's just everything's okay and once you accept Christ it's that's it you know everything's okay Christ is severe a lot you know, he puts people in prison. He sends them into Gehenna and puts a mill. I mean, he, he, he's pretty severe at times. And um, he's going to come for the last judgment, you know, and separate goats and sheep. So you can't romanticize Christ. You, you just can't. Um, but on the other hand, we have in Christ an embodiment of the Father's mercy um, Christ showing that his love of humans is greater than any sin we can commit if we go to him. I mean, he gave his life upon a cross, so he offered us an infinite mercy. So bringing those two things together, you know, that severity with the gratitude or gladness for mercy, I just think is, isn't easy. It isn't easy. Um, that yet I think that's what every one of us is given. That's that's what we've been given that we want to try to bring to the world. Um, it's easy to go off into one extreme or the other. Um, it's to me, it's much harder to hold on to both of them because there are times when I think it's absolutely essential that we get serious and say, "Knock it off," pretty seriously. That's bad. And yet we're asked to bring a forgiveness to what we do too. So. Holding those two things together, I just think is is not easy. Not easy. Well, if we address our Heavenly Father 
as our father, we can't we can't embrace the the buddy system that you just brought up. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get even I just so I shouldn't do this with you guys. I get a little bit concerned when I hear our sons calling their sons buddy. When I start hearing that, I, I get a little bit. Um, I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't go. I shouldn't go there because. Well, I understand that exactly. You start to boil. <laughs> well, I don't boil, but but I'm I'm not at ease with it, and I know lots of people are today. I mean, it's our effort to be sort of friendly with everybody. Um, I I I am so I shouldn't go here. You. No, you. Should. Um. <laughs> K. Quiet that friend of yours, will will you for a, a few minutes? Because um, he's just roiling me up here. Um, I I just personally think I think I may have said this that we've lost a sense of fatherhood in our culture. It's a Protestant culture, fathers, and in the absence of fathers, kids. I mean, lots of things that are not good in our culture. I think goes back to the the loss of the father in the family today, and. And everything our culture is trying to do to make everything comfortable, you know, he's my buddy, he's my son, and you you want your son to be a friend, and you want your son to feel you're a friend, but at the cost of losing that relationship between a father and a son, or a mother and her daughter. Um, anyway, I, let's not go there. I, I um, let's get back to the commedia. Okay, let's go. On page 197, Dante and Virgil emerge from the back of Satan, having left the world of the dead behind. It's a moment of renewal. Dante says, 197, I saw near me an ancient man, an ancient man alone, whose face commanded all the reverence that any son, this is ironic, I mean, this is what we're talking about, that any son could offer to his sire. There's some deep reverence as if, Cato himself is a father figure. Long flowing was his beard and streaked with white as was his hair, which in two tresses fell to rest upon his chest. The rays of light from those four sacred stars struck with such radiance upon his face, it was as if the sun were shining there. Well, I, I don't know what your experiences were. Mine's through poetry, so the opening of the Purgatorio is God. It's full of light and wonder and hope. Um... Who guided you? And But notice, here's this note of severity. Get real here. Who guided you? What served you as a lamp to light your way out of the heavy night that keeps the pit of hell? He's, he's like the guardians in hell. It's He's an image of something that's impassable. You cannot get by him. That's a line that doesn't move. I mean, stop and think about it for a second. What would happen if that line blurred and the demons from hell were allowed to pass into purgatory and have their way and mix with the penance and, you know, seeming to be going along and doing penance. I mean, it would be a very, yeah, I'm hoping everybody see that. It would not be purgatory. So Cato's an image of a line that's important to hold. All, are all the laws of God's abyss destroyed? Have new decisions now been made in heaven so that though damned you come up? He can't. This is like a violation of God. That's how important this line is. So we've moved from a damnable condition to something that's beyond it. So the line is clear. It can't be fuzz. 
If it is, souls are in trouble. Um, Dante and Virgil make clear to him that um, Dante's been given a grace to take this journey. Um, 198, already I've shown him all the damned. I want to show him now the souls of those who purged themselves of guilt in your domain. How he came here would be too long to tell. From heaven comes the power that has served to lead him. It's only by the grace of God that he's done this. Remember, we have not, bottom of 198, we have not broken heaven's timeless laws. This man still lives. Minos does not bind me. I come from that same round where the chaste eyes of your dear Marcia still plead with your soul. This is one of the most painful ironies, and it's going to be repeated. Cato and his wife are separated. She's in hell. We're going to, Dante's going to pound on this theme. There are going to be people, I mean, think, I'm sorry, this is going to be, because I think this is just tough. We're going to find in purgatory, repeatedly, souls in undergoing purgatory whose relatives are in hell. So we're going to be witnessing the love that we take as final in a family being broken. We know that from Christ. I mean, it should not come as a surprise, except I think dramatically it's going to hit us hard here. Christ says again and again, any husband and wife who makes you know son more important than me, or I came to divide a family, a father from son, a mother... He goes on. He comes to that one man and he says, come follow me. And the guy says, let me bury my father first. Which means, let me finish out my life with him and take care of him. He's, he's making his family greater than God. Christ makes clear again and again, you make the family more important than God, you're in trouble. So here, at the, at the foot of purgatory, we encounter the guardian whose wife is in hell. So Dante's not romanticizing anything. He's not making, this is not a world of sweet buddies. It's not family niceness. We're going to encounter again and again family members who are separated from one another in those conditions. And all of it raises questions about what did people, what did those in a family love most, themselves, each other, or God? Because if they loved each other more than they loved God... There were problems. We have not broken heaven's timeless laws. This man still lives. Minus does not bind me. I come from that same round where the chaste eye, the chaste eyes of your dear Marcia still plead with your soul, O blessed heart, to hold her as your own. For love of her, then bend your will to ours. Allow us to go through your seven realms, and I shall tell. Um, so... Dante's making clear that lines are, boundaries are real. Um, 199, she dwells beyond the evil river now, and I can no longer move me by that law decreed upon the day I issued forth. But if a heavenly lady, as you say, moves and directs you, why your flattery? Ask, ask in her name. There is no need for more. Um, he says, go to the, um, to the ocean and wash your eyes on page 200. We made our way along that lonely plain like men who seek the right path they've lost, counting each step a loss till it's found. When we had reached a place where the cool shade allowed the dew to linger on the slope, resisting a while longer the sun's rays, my master placed both hands. This is a touching scene. 
My master placed both hands on his widespread hands, gently upon the tender grass, and I, who understood what his intention was. Notice there's no words. They know. Um, offered my tear-stained face to him, and he made my face clean, restoring its true color once buried underneath the dirt of hell. At last we touched upon the lofty shore, lonely shore, that never yet has seen its waters sailed by one who then returned to tell the tale. What's that an allusion to? You guys should know. At last we touched upon the lonely shore that never yet has seen its waters sailed by one who then returned to tell the tale. Then, as another willed, he girded me, O miracle, when he pulled out the reed, immediately a second humble reed plant, a humble plant, sprang up from where the first one had been picked. What's that allusion to? One who then returned to tell the tale. That's Dante at the beginning when he was described in terms of, of a swimmer who couldn't pass the river, and it's also Ulysses. Remember, we went over the Ulysses scene because he saw that mountain and he wanted to go to it on his own. What Dante is showing us is the presumption of somebody who wants to try to perfect himself without God's help. Our, our sin was against God. Our original sin was against him. We cannot overcome, no, psych, no psychology, no therapy. We cannot overcome our sin without his help whether he works through a therapist or a friend or a family member, a father, a mother, a husband, a spouse, we can't do it without God's help, whoever, whoever he's working with. It's a spiritual sin. It takes a grace to overcome it. So Dante is now entering into a world um, in which God is active in, in everything that people do. Then as another will, that's exactly the line that Ulysses used in his you know, description of himself when his ship went down. And notice that the reed plucks up again. They pluck when it grows. This is a place of renewal. Everything in purgatory it will be music and art, renewal, movement, hope, going forward, being glad. Um, Any questions? Make it clear. Go ahead, Doc. You should make it clear that Odysseus and Ulysses are one and the same. Did everybody hear, Doc? She's saying um, she's trusting that everybody, or wondering if everybody's clear that Ulysses and Odysseus are the same figure. You know that Homer calls his hero Odysseus, but Virgil. You know, referred to him as Ulysses, and the, the, the Christian tradition that followed usually described him as Ulysses. Dante does in the Inferno when he talks about Ulysses and uh, Diomedes. Okay, let's go on, two, three. Dante and Virgil move off the shore um, to get closer to the mountain. Suddenly, on page 203, a ship comes with souls who have just arrived from time and earth. So they've just recently died and they're about to embark on their um, purgation. In, in David's word, they're, 
their purification. Two or three, Dante and Virgil are passing and suddenly they hear this music and the singing. Page two or three, in exitu Israele de um, Egypto, they were all singing with a single voice, chanting in, in verse by verse until the end. The angel signed them with the Holy Cross and they rushed from the ship unto the shore. He disappeared swiftly as he had come. All of this is under the guidance of God. An angel working to bring them. Now think about this because in the ancient world, the one who guided the souls to the underworld was Hermes. Remember, he was the, the god, the thief god. He was the one who guided the, under, the souls to the underworld. Here, the souls leaving the world who are not going to hell are going to purgatory and um, and it's an angel um, it's an angel guiding them um, those who noticed that my body breathed and realized that I was still alive in their amazement turned a deathly pale this is one of the first moments of amazement now remember I told you that one of the modes of the experience of purgatory is wonder and amazement. And here it is initially at the outset. The souls arrive and they encounter Dante in a body, casting a shadow. 204. Just as a crowd, greedy for nude, surrounds the messenger who bears the olive branch and none too shy to elbow his way, so all the happy souls of these redeemed stared. So go back to your poor souls in purgatory. God, I want to... The souls here are happy. <laughs> How could they not be? God, they're on the way to heaven. Who could be gloomy on the way to heaven? So all the souls of these redeemed stared at my face, forgetting, as it were, the way to go to make their beauty whole. Um, oh, empty shades whose human forms seem real. Three times I clasped my hands around his form. As many times they came back to my breast. I must have been the picture of surprise, for he was smiling as he drew away, and I plunged forward, still in search of him. Then gently he suggested I not try, and by this his voice I knew who this shade was. So one of the souls approaches Dante, arms outstretched, and he appeared so eager to embrace me that his affection moved me to show mine. Oh, empty shades whose human forms seem real. Three times I clasped my hands. Do any of you remember this? That's its prototype in the Odyssey. Anne, go ahead. Do you? Your audio's not on. I remember the scene. I'm just trying to remember uh, the character. It was Odysseus with his mother in the underworld. Mother, that's what I. I knew it was a woman. Hold on to this because this is going to be funny. By the way, this is this is the scene from which C.S. Lewis took the title of his book, Surprised by Joy. It's a line he took from Wordsworth. It's a poem that Wordsworth wrote called Surprised by Joy that he wrote after his sister died. Wordsworth and his sister Dorothy used to take these walks all the time and they used to talk together. Dorothy died, and some years later, Word was, was on a work, and he was so overcome by the beauty of the scenery that he turned to talk to her. He was so overcome for a moment that he forgot that she was dead. 
there are these moments that joy is so much our end that we forget our mortality or our loss. Dante and Cassell are in that moment now, and it's going to be repeated. We're going to, it's going to happen later, so I'm just underlining right now. Kinsella and, and Dante are reunited, and they're both so taken with each other that they try to clasp each other. <laughs> but Casella's a shade, um, and all it does is, here it is, it adds another moment of surprise or amazement. So here at the opening of the Purgatory are these moments, imagine, I'm going back to what Julie and some of you said about poor souls or, you know, dark Right here at the beginning, the, the greater emphasis is on amazement, joy, surprise. How could it be otherwise? If we left this world with all of its sorrows, this veil of tears, and entered purgatory and we are on our way to heaven, what would you expect? Um, anyway, this is what's so funny. I, I make this journey now, oh my Casella, hoping one day to come back here again, because Dante hopes that he will be saved. We'll learn later that he was on the verge of being damned. But here he's in purgatory, about ready to go up. Um, Picks his passengers often refuse to take me in his boat, for that just will is always guiding his. But for the last three months, indulgently, he has been taking all who wish to cross. So when I went to seek the shore again, where Tiber's waters turned to salty sea, benignly he accepted me aboard. What we learn is the Pope made a plenary indulgence and it released the souls from their temporal world and they're here earlier than they expected. Now hold on to this because this is one of the things the modern world is really uncomfortable with. It's because of a Pope's indulgence that some of the souls are here earlier. That's the, the binding and loosing of the keys, you know. Now the two are so taken with each other because they were dear friends in life. So here's another moment of surprise, except it's going to be met with a real sternness. Page 205. If no new law prevents remembering or practicing those love songs that once brought peace to my restless longings in the world, I said, pray sing and give a little rest to my poor soul, which burdened by my flesh has climbed this far and is exhausted now. So they're about to enter onto purgatory. They loved each other in life. They were dear friends. They loved art, loved poetry. And they start singing this beautiful Italian song. Amore che de la mente mi rigogna. That's a poor imitation of Italian. Began the words of his sweet melody. Their sweetness still is sounding in my soul. I hope everybody's appreciating the comedy here. So poor souls in purgatory... You guys have got to clean that up. You've just got to get it out. My master and myself were all those souls that came with who were deeply lost in joy. They are so taken by the song and the poetry as if that sound were all that did exist. And while we stood enraptured by the sound of those sweet notes, a sudden cry, what is this, you lazy souls? It was the just old man. So there's justice. And I'm so serious about it. There's justice. It's not going to be romanticized away. It was the just old man. What negligence stand around like this. Run to the mountains, shed the slot which still does not let God be manifest to you. Just as a flock of pigeon in a field, peacefully feeding on the grain and tares, no longer strutting proud in how they look, they abandoned their food and fled. The first thing that Virgil does is drop his head in shame. 
because he's a good man. He's absolutely humiliated that he would have um, given in to that. Now let me stop here because we're about out of time. What's the importance of this moment for Dante and Virgil going up ahead? And does it correspond to anything in the Inferno? Because you know that Dante's constantly... Oh, as, so we, we, we experienced a descent from the top of you know, Inferno to the bottom. And now we've got an inverted world where we're going to take on that mountain. Dante's actually now going to make the ascent that he wanted to make in the beginning. And here at the outset, um, we experience this reunion between Casella and Dante, and they sing this song, and they're so overjoyed by it um, that they they can't do anything else for one. And then Cato comes along and <laughs> you know gives them a knock on the head and says, "What are you doing? Get you laggards! Get on! You're supposed to be getting to God." Um, can you think of anything in the beginning of the Inferno that matches up with this? Here's this note of, that I tried to strike a while ago of bringing severity and joy together because it's much easier for us to... <laughs> I hope everybody's appreciating the difficulty. I think I'm speaking what everybody knows. It's much easier to be one or the other. It's much harder to bring both together. Here, Dante and Casella are enjoying this beautiful song, this beautiful piece of art, and it's keeping them from God, and Cato comes up and says, get on, you laggards, what are you doing? He's pretty severe. He means what he says. He says, get on. He's like a good mother and father saying to a child, knock it off. Does it remind you of anything in the Inferno? Probably Francesca. Go ahead, Connie. And he was pitying her, and then um, Virgil had to tell him to knock it off, you know, don't. You can't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, you are right on. If you can take it a step far, what was it that enticed Francesco and Paolo into their sin? They were reading a book and they had relations. And then, of course, you know, the husband comes in and kills them both. Not enough time to repent. So she was kind of like God, you know. Um, why can he have mercy on me? Because, you know, um, Dante had quite a bit of pity. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's, can anybody flesh it out? What's, what's, it, what's the temptation here? In both instances, what's the grave temptation for human beings? It's poetry. I hope everybody's laughing here as much as I am. I was going to say, you're going to have to flush that one out. <laughs> okay, okay. Is everybody clear? Dante's so clear. The great temptation for Francesco and Paolo was they were reading the Lancelot romance. They were, remember, it said, and the reading stopped that day. They were read so. And we read no more that day. And we read no more that day. That, let me, let me sort of underscore it. Imagine the effect that modern film or modern music has on an audience today. What it does to the human soul and its emotions. What it can do to human emotions. Dante is so clear-headed on it. He's saying that one of the gravest dangers human faces, the temptations, is art. I just want to be really clear here. 
He makes that clear at the beginning of the Inferno. It's a work of art that leads Francesco and Paolo to their fatal end. What is it that gets Cato worked up here? Dante and Casella are so overjoyed that they start singing a song together, and they're so taken by it they won't stop. What would have happened if Cato had not come along? They're supposed to be going to God. How much art keeps us from going to God? It's a frightening question because art has such a power in our age. I would think most of you would agree. It's just terrifying. So, um, Virgil is shamefaced. They go to the mountain and they have to find a pass that will lead to the mountain. And then what we're going to encounter are all the souls in anti-purgatory. All the souls who are kept outside of purgatory proper because they delayed, they put off. And I want to look at that closely because um, we're, we're showing how clear-sighted Dante is about human responsibility and grace. It's, it's the fundamental issue at, in the whole of the purgatorial of reconciling law and grace, human responsibility, human choice, and the choices that we make, whether we're moving with God or not. So all that happens in anti-purgatory, everything that leading up to the gate where penance proper begins, is all an allegory about what we're doing in our lives now. Now. Are we delaying? Are we moving forward? Where are we? He's going to show us pretty clearly the way he did in the Inferno. Everything about our human nature and the way we stand with respect to grace. Is that clear? Because um, you don't begin purgatory without God's help. So even though, even though we think it comes from us, I want to turn to God, that doesn't happen without our being open to him and him doing something with us. So everything that happens from this point now up to the gate will be anti-purgatory before then we'll enter St. Peter's Gate and start purgatory. So any, any questions about anything we've covered tonight? This is good stuff. This is really good stuff. This is our church. Any, any questions or comments? I honestly had no clue that there was an anti-purgatory. I mean, I don't know if there really is or not, but um, I realize you're reading fiction, but um, I had no, I had, I had never, that thought never crossed my mind of an anti-purgatory. Anti meaning before, not against. Right. Right. Yeah. Connie, I'm so glad you said that. Um, um, oh, what's, um, where is she? She's, I don't even, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if she's left. I'm a little bit reluctant to do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk a limb here. Remember at the outset when um, oh God, um, Celia had asked for prayers for her friend? You know, it sounds like she was baptized and wondering about whether. Think about people who are not active actually you can think about people in the church who are not actively practicing their faith but don't go there go outside the church where you you're aware of people who are 
struggling with issues of grace, whether to believe or not, or what to do, or I can do it on my own, or, you know, I mean, there's, there's lots of conditions um, in human beings um, that exist before they make a, a conscious choice to give themselves to changing their lives. Take AA, I mean, let's say, or, or any form of addiction, whatever it is, that people can, um, people can, ex, um, ex, I don't know how to put this, there are, there are degrees or shades of degrees of, of, to call, of commitment to changing lives. So that some point, some people reach a point where they say, I want to change my life and do something about it. Let's say AA, let's say, and they go to start going to meetings or something, or, or people enter the church and something tugs at them and they begin to go to meetings, um, what, what they call pre-cane or not the doc, um, you know, the lead, the Baptist, when adults come into the church, what do they call it? Yeah, yeah. The, you know that there are degrees of stages in that that some people don't even quite get to that i mean they're before it so what we're watching are degrees of openness to god and a willingness to give oneself there or a reluctance and a holding back so all dante's doing is showing is is giving us an image once again the way he did in hell of those stages like reading the lyric poem that we're getting instances of people who are who have not yet actively begun but who aren't damned so um, Dante's showing us there's a there's shades of difference between people who turn away actively refuse God and people who have not done that but who have not given themselves to to struggling to do something about their sins with God. So anti-purgatory, I mean, we can structurally break it down, even mechanically, but what he's doing is really faithful to our human nature, that there are stages, and he's showing us human beings at various stages of not being damned, but who whose choices didn't bring them yet to a point of penance. And that's reflected in the afterlife. So instead of beginning being able to start penance when they die, they have to go through a period of waiting before they can start because that's an indication of what they brought into the afterlife. So just as he was in hell, he's showing the human, like the contrapositive, he's showing the human being taking into the next life the choices that he made in this life. And in lots of them, there were delays, putting off, preoccupation, I'm too busy, or last moment, or Dante's just being faithful and showing here's the human soul in its stages leading up to purgation, penance, and then actively taking on penance. So in one sense, it's, it's, it's like reading all of Shakespeare's plays or all of our life. He's just showing this is who we are, this is where people are, but it all reveals something about us in the way that we stand to God, the choices we make, what we do or don't do. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. He's amazing. He's just, he's so amazing. 
I mean, just I, I don't want to spend time because I, I don't want to get away. Just I'll give you two instances. There, we, we'll meet Balakwa, who who is so languid. He he can't move a finger. <laughs> he looks so self self. I mean, he just won't move a finger. We know people who are not going to move. You know, they're so satisfied with themselves. We'll need, we'll meet another soul who was going to hell, going to hell. In the very last breath he spoke, he mentioned Mary's name. And that saved him. So Dante's showing, it's not, he's not a black-white thinker. He's showing that even with the worst of us, if there's still the slightest spark, it gives God something to work with. So he's going to reveal us to ourselves through all these stages, offset against hell, of all these things um, that lead us to God. The wonderful thing about it is, is that he's showing the great mercy of God. I mean, none of these souls are starting penance yet, but they're showing there's this great openness in God. Otherwise, why aren't these people in hell? They're not because there's something good in them still. You know, even though it, it doesn't bring them to penance, there's something still good getting them there. So none of these, so, none of these souls are going to see hell. They're here. But there are all these grades of responsibility and human choice in being open to God and working with Him. So we're just as we did in hell, we're learning to see the real subtleties of who we are, where we are, what we're doing or not doing. It really is pretty amazing. Okay, um, let's stop. Um, a lot ahead of us. It's it's a wonderful work. It's um, it's it's rich like the inferno. It's just it's such a mirror on ourselves. It's such an extraordinary mirror. It's a great gift. Um, you guys have a good week. S stay safe, all of you. If all of you would keep each other, all of us in your prayers, okay, and we will do the same, okay. Um, next. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, the, the rule of thumb, I'm not following it right now, but the rule of thumb is we'll try to do eight cantos a week. I don't think that's too difficult. Eight cantos is not too much to read, but I'm not sure that I'll keep up with it. But try to do eight cantos, and I think some of you are probably beyond that, but that's that's what I'll try to hold myself to. So next week we'll do anti-purgatory, and we should get into the first levels of purgatory, pride and envy. Okay, so enjoy your reading. He's, he's really worth reading, and um, we'll see you next week. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Awesome. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye-bye. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Good night.